I've been reading it a lot lately, and a lot of the books I've been reading are very morbid, have a lot of gory details in them. And I feel like, you know, when they put a warning beforehand on the book, I know some people definitely need the warning. But to me, I kind of just laugh because none of that stuff bothers me. And I don't know if I'm like psychopathic or I'm just so desensitized. Well, to answer your first question, yes. You are psychopathic. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a book with a warning on it. Really? That's silly. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think we we're so desensitized. Yeah. You know, growing up on horror movies. That's not true. when you were like five or something, right? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not let my daughter watch horror movies when she was five years old. I don't think people would judge, to be honest. I know they wouldn't, but I do. But I think we're so desensitized that this stuff doesn't phase us. Yeah, like this one book had the warning beforehand and I'm like, oh, none of this is bad to me. It's going into like descriptive details. And then there's a scene where they're in the bathroom, like a public bathroom, and that's what gets me. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> bathroom scenes where somebody's touching the toilet or yeah. <laughs> or it's just a really dirty bathroom. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that disgusts me. That makes my stomach turn. But anything else, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure I wouldn't be as desensitized if it was something I witnessed in person, but... You know, it's well, yeah, always yeah. different to read and watch things. Different when you're reading fiction, right? Yeah. But yeah, none of that stuff bothers me. It still cracks me up that if we see an animal again in fiction being harmed. Yeah. It makes us cringe more than. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why that is. It's like, oh my God, the poor kitty. I, I don't know if it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not completely insensitive to where I don't feel bad for the people. No, it's just that you know it's fiction. Well, yeah. Right, so I guess you should clarify that when you're talking about reading gory stuff. Yeah, You're yeah. talking about reading fiction, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. not about yeah. actual murders and stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it's all <laughs> fiction. But yeah, I think with animals, it's like they're so defenseless. Yeah, yeah, we, we've talked about that before. That's true. Yeah. So to answer your questions, no, you are not a psychopath. Good. And yes, we are very desensitized. Yeah. The same as when we hear people talking about horror movies and they were so scared and <laughs> that was so scary. And we're like, what, really? Yeah. It makes me kind of sad not being scared anymore. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to go back yeah. and experience it. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, jump scares. Well, yeah. That's not fair. Yeah, those are cheats. <laughs> and of course, when they're real stories, I do cringe when there are details. Not cringe, but I feel bad. And it's, you know, you know that feeling when yeah. you hear them. Yeah. And that is no different with the story I'm going to be talking about tonight. Which is? I'm going to talk about the strange death of Debbie Wolf 
and the controversy on whether her death was a murder or accidental. Hmm. Once again, I never heard this story. In either December of 1985 or on New Year's of 1986, I saw different dates, so we're just going to go with that. All right. Debbie Wolf's body was found near her home at the bottom of a pond. Local officials had reported that there was no foul play and that her death was nothing but an accidental drowning. However, those closest to her believed that she was actually murdered. Debbie was 28 years old and lived in an isolated cabin just outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina. According to investigators, Debbie died on December 26, 1985. She worked as a nurse and was last seen leaving work at around 4 p.m. that day and never showed up to work the next day. When her family found out that she had not shown up to work, they drove to her cabin to check on her since it was out of character for her. What they discovered on her property was out of the ordinary as well. Debbie was known for being a neat person and always took good care of her two dogs. When her parents arrived, the dogs had not been fed, beer cans were scattered around, and her purse was under the bed while her work uniform was on the kitchen floor. Were there signs of a struggle or just a mess? Just a mess. Okay. Allegedly, there was a message on the answering machine recorded earlier that day. It was a man from the hospital checking in with Debbie and saying she had missed many days of work when she had only missed a few hours of work at the time the message was left on the machine. That's bizarre. Yeah. When there weren't any signs of Debbie, her parents called the police, but had to wait for 72 hours before filing a missing persons report. 72 hours? I thought it was 24 hours. I always thought it was like 48. Oh, okay, well. We're both wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's different in each state. Yeah. So this is kind of where it gets shaky on the timeline, but I'm just going to go with the dates I've seen reported most. Okay. On New Year's Eve, sheriff deputies searched the property with trained bloodhounds, but there was no evidence of her whereabouts. That's odd, but I suppose if she got into a vehicle... They couldn't pick up a scent or anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Jenny, Debbie's mother, hired a private dive team to search a nearby pond. Divers Kevin Gordon and Gordon Childress, I think that's how you pronounce it, searched the pond on New Year's Day in 1986. They found two sets of foot impressions along the bank and what they figure to be drag marks that led into the pond. That's suspicious. Yeah. And also weird that the police didn't find that. Yeah, I was thinking, why didn't they search the pond? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they just, I don't know how far the pond was from her house, so maybe they didn't think of it, but still, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Gordon found Debbie's body at the bottom at about five and a half feet deep, and 30 feet from the edge. Both men reported that her body was found inside a barrel. Okay, this is getting really weird. Yes. In 1990, Gordon told Unsolved Mysteries, quote, the body was inside what looked like a burn barrel that's a rusty 55-gallon oil-type drum with holes in it, end quote. The drum couldn't have been sealed, right? Or closed? By... 
how I read it, it wasn't. The day after the discovery, the sheriff's department was informed. The water was lowered to recover her body. Police found Debbie's body, but not the barrel. Oh, wait, so the guys reported that they saw it, but then the police said there was no barrel. Yes. It gets very weird and confusing. All right. Investigators said that Debbie must have slipped on ice and fallen into the freezing water while playing with her dogs. They believe she became disoriented and drowned from immersion syndrome, which is also called flush drowning and can occur in cold water and sometimes cause hypertension, interruption of breath-holding ability, arrhythmia, or loss of coordination. So she had a doggy door? I think they were left outside. Oh, so when they got to the house, when her family got to the house, the dogs were not inside. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, one of the divers, said, quote, A typical coroner drowning would be eyes open, mouth open, hands and arms in a very clawed state, end quote. But it was stated that her eyes and mouth were closed, and she looked relaxed as if she were asleep. The barrel that multiple people saw was there the night before police investigated, and then all of a sudden gone as if it never existed. Wait, so they found the body. Yes. They informed the police. Yes. And nobody was keeping an eye on the area until the police actually went in to get the body? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. The captain claimed that the divers mistook Debbie's jacket that may have ballooned up as a barrel. But Gordon, the man who found her, says there was absolutely no doubt in his mind that it was an old, rusted barrel. That's bizarre. It's very bizarre. Debbie's mother recalled going over to where the barrel was and saw it was indeed gone, but the indentation of it was still on the ground. So they completely drained the pond? Is that what... They said they lowered. I don't know if it completely drained or if they just... So she was looking at where the barrel was in the pond before they drained the water or whatever. Yes. Okay. And she could still see the indentation. Right. A few months later, when Debbie's mother was able to examine her clothes that were on her at the time of the discovery, she realized that they weren't actually Debbie's clothing. The pants were too long. The bra cup size was three sizes too large, and the shoes were men's size six when she wore a woman's size seven, which meant that the shoes were three sizes larger. Okay, so all of this weird stuff. Yeah. And what were the police saying at this point? They just kept claiming it was accidental drowning. Hmm. Debbie's family was convinced that she was murdered. Debbie would often coordinate the hospital's volunteers, and according to Debbie's mother, there was a volunteer that wanted romantic relations, even though Debbie had discussed with everyone, including him, that she would be friends, but nothing else. The police investigated anyone that the family requested, but there was nothing that led to prosecute or indicate that there was a murder. So the man who had left the message was investigated, The volunteer that was fond of Debbie was investigated the night her body was found, 
He provided an alibi but refused to take a polygraph, and he left the state several days later. Well, that's not suspicious. Yeah. So there's no more information about the guy who left the message and why he left a bogus message. No, not that I read. One last strange piece to all this was that Debbie was five foot three and her car was found with the driver's seat pushed all the way back as if a much taller person had been driving. Where was their car found? It didn't say a specific location that I found, but they just said that it was in an unusual spot compared to where she normally parks her car. Hmm. So a lot of odd things, and family is definitely convinced that this was a murder, but police still ruled it as accidental drowning. Curious if they even investigated it as a potential homicide. Yeah, I don't know. I want to know if there was actually a barrel. I'm not going to you know, say that they were lying or they misjudged or anything because I don't know how you can misjudge a 55-gallon barrel. Well, so bizarre that they find her, yeah. the divers do, and you would think you wouldn't take your eyes off of that site until somebody comes and retrieves her. Yeah. I mean, it just seems bizarre to me to, you know, yeah, not, not trying not to judge anybody. Yeah. But that just is another bizarre thing about this. Yeah. I mean, what did everybody just, oh, yeah, okay, well, we'll go tell the police and then we'll have somebody come back and get her out. Yeah, I don't know. That's so weird. From my understanding, it was the next day that the police came out. But yeah, I mean, it's weird that they didn't have someone on guard the whole time. Yeah. But I can kind of see if it didn't take until the next day. You would think even the police would send somebody out. To keep an eye on the scene until they could get somebody out there to retrieve her. Still bizarre that the police didn't do the search. Yeah, I I don't know. Just because they mishandled it, I don't know if they were just mishandling it in general or if they were hiding something. Hmm. I don't know. Bizarre. I, I have my theories, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know... It's really sad, and I wish that she got the justice she deserved, her and her family. Assuming she was murdered. I mean, it does seem that way, right? Yeah. A lot of bizarre things that happened. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I'm just baffled that even if they couldn't figure out who did it, that there wasn't enough there to say, yes, this is an open case homicide. Yeah. At least just like everything put together is strange, especially the voicemail that was left. Very bizarre. Yeah. Very sad. Was that it? Yeah. Alrighty then. Well, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had talked about Sacramento's historic city cemetery. Yes. Thought I would talk about another cemetery tonight, Mm. which is actually a park now. Cheeseman Park in Denver, Colorado, or at least part of one. The land that used to be the cemetery covers more than just the park. I'm sure you're going to answer this, but is it like they took the grave markers out and it's now a park? 
Yes, I will answer that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. Mount Prospect Cemetery opened in 1859 and was about 160 acres at the time. Hmm. The cemetery was busy for many years, but as new cemeteries opened up closer to what was the town at the time, it became a less popular place to bury. Hmm. If popular is the right word for places to bury. I didn't know they had preferences, I guess. Yeah, well, closer. That's true. Speaking of, you ever wonder why cemeteries aren't like buying houses or renting apartments? You know, where the caskets are easily removable. So if you move, <laughs> you can buy a plot somewhere in your new area and then have your loved ones moved. That sounds like too much work. <laughs> oh, you might as well just like... If you move, I want you to take us with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like, you might as well put them in your backyard or something. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Don't think that's a good idea. Bad enough digging up people's old pets. Oh my god! <laughs> don't want to dig up people's old relatives. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> as the cemetery became less popular, it started to become run down around the 1880s. At that point, the city wanted to turn it into a park. Hmm. Just a park, not an amusement park. I would hope not. Yeah, we've learned that that's a bad idea. Yeah. In 1890, they got approval to move forward with the plan. Then they had to figure out what to do with the more than 5,000 bodies that were buried there. Oh, my gosh. First, the city offered families of those buried there a free plot at another cemetery. But after a few years, only about 700 of the bodies had been removed. That's not a lot. Right. The majority remained unclaimed. Apparently, many vagrants, criminals, and poor people were buried there, and or there just wasn't anyone left around who cared about the remaining deceased. Oh. You know, families weren't around anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. There was also a hospital just south of the cemetery where people with extremely contagious and terminal diseases like smallpox were taken. It was what they called a pest house. Hmm. That's short for pestilence house. Yeah. I guess they were fairly common. Learned something new every day. Did not know that. Along with terminally ill people, elderly and handicapped people were pretty much left there to die. That's so sad. Yeah. Apparently, the people there were buried in mass graves behind the building in what was called the Potter's Field section of the graveyard. Huh. In 1893, the city gave undertaker E.P. McGovern the contract to move the remaining bodies. He was to provide fresh boxes for the bodies and transfer them to another cemetery for $1.90 per coffin. Oh my gosh. Not sure if you can guess where this is going, but McGovern quickly figured out that he could make more money by using small child-sized boxes, dismembering the bodies, and placing each person's remains in as many as three boxes. Oh my gosh. 
I did not see that coming. <laughs> yes, people are cruel. And greedy. Yeah. Soon, amidst the dug-up graves, there were body parts and discarded coffin pieces all over the cemetery. Okay, that dude has got to be haunted. Yeah. (laughs) A newspaper investigation uncovered the scheme, and McGovern was quickly pulled from the job after only about a thousand bodies had been moved. Only a thousand. Or a thousand body parts. Trying to avoid further scandal... The city moved the remaining headstones, leaving the remaining bodies where they were. Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. I read varying accounts about how many bodies remained. 2,000 to 3,000 were the most repeated numbers. Yeah. But I had read it could have been anywhere between 500 and 3,000. Oh, wow. Either way, a lot of bodies. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Every few years, remains are found and sent to the medical examiner to verify they were what the locals call long-time residents and not part of a recent crime. Remains were found? Yeah. The most recent was in 2010 when they were doing irrigation work and they found four skeletons. Oh my gosh. So yes, as they're doing work at the park, they occasionally dig up bones. But then they have to verify that they're actually old bones and not some recent crime. That sounds like a long process. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cheeseman Park now covers about 80 acres of the original cemetery and was completed in 1907. In 1909, Gladys Cheeseman Evans and her mother, Mrs. Walter S. Cheeseman, donated a marble pavilion in memory of Denver pioneer Walter Cheeseman. Hmm. The donation was conditional on naming the park after him. It is a large open-air pavilion that sits on a hill on the east side of the park. Think about Roman and Greek architecture with high roofs supported by large marble columns. Yeah. And large as far as they can hold weddings and other events there. Wow. Wow. There's a whole history on the different sections of the cemetery, which were divided into different religious sects, such as, you know, Hebrew, Chinese, Catholic, and all were moved at different times as the churches decided, you know, what to do with the the remains. Yeah. I won't get into the details about that, but the area consists of Cheeseman Park, a smaller park named Congress Park, and sections of upper-class homes. Wow. Also, I think the last section of the remains were removed in 1950 when the Catholic Church relocated plots and sold the land back to the city. That section now contains Denver's botanical garden. Hmm. Reports of strangeness started almost immediately after they began removing the bodies in 1893. That makes sense. Yes. A worker, Jim Astor, who was helping himself to brass from the dug-up coffins to sell for scrap, said he suddenly felt an ice-cold pressure settling on his shoulders. He was convinced it was one of the dead coming to chastise him for stealing. Terrified, he ran from the grounds and did not return to work. Huh. Well, that's your lesson. Don't steal. (laughs) Speaking of desensitized... (laughs) 
you would be like, is that all you got? (laughs) (laughs) Not implying that you would steal, but. No, but if they do try to scare me. (laughs) Residents surrounding the graveyard began reporting sad and confused looking spirits knocking at their doors and windows, as well as sounds of moans coming from open graves. So they were going up to people's houses? That's what they said. They started seeing spirits wandering around the neighborhoods. Did they have clipboards with them? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's (laughs) (laughs) sorry, that's so bad. Oh, survey takers, is that what you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe they're trying to have a petition to stop having their graves disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Strange occurrences continue to be reported at the park and the surrounding homes today. Oh my gosh. Some people have said they have felt an inexplicable sadness or feeling of dread while in the park. People have heard the sounds of hundreds of whispering voices. That wouldn't make you feel like you're crazy. Oh my, that's, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's creepy too. There are common reports of kids being seen playing in the park in the middle of the night. Huh. Or the dead of night. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who suddenly disappear when approached. Another common sighting is a woman seen wandering around the park singing to herself, who also suddenly disappears when approached. I wish I can disappear when I'm approached. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) That'd be so nice. (laughs) Strange mist and shadow figures are seen among the trees or drifting through the park. Hmm. Shadow figures, because as we know, shadow people is trademarked, right? That's shadow people was the one that was trademarked, right? I think so. (laughs) I mean, either of them being trademarked is kind of weird. Yeah. We had this discussion before. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Some people have said if they are lying on the grass at the park... They find it hard to get up as if an unseen force is holding them down. I always thought that was old age. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can blame it on ghosts. Maybe it's (laughs) ghosts. It is also said that on moonlit nights, you can sometimes see the outlines of the old cemetery headstones. That's interesting. Yeah. But that was it. Sad. Yes. Very very sad. Interesting. It's interesting to hear how many places are actually built on old cemeteries. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. That's why they should do the purchase rental thing. (laughs) Person's gone, buried there. They don't have any more relatives. (laughs) What do you do with the body? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was just a thought. I mean, the thought of like having your moving truck with your relative in the back. (laughs) Why not? It could be a whole business. I don't know. (laughs) It just seems like a lot of work because I feel like you're just disturbing them regardless. I wonder if they'd have to have somebody move it or you could just U-Haul it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I would not want to get pulled over and have that conversation. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. I mean, if you move away and we're here. Yeah. Assuming we're buried. 
which isn't going to be the case, but theoretically. Yeah. Then we would be lonely here. Our graves would be forgotten. Well, I don't know where to go with that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is true because it it does suck that people move away from their relatives who are buried or friends or whoever. Yeah. But I don't know. Moving them just sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see. Too much work to move you, mom and dad. (laughs) We're going. You're on your own. Well, would you do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. I'm sure people would. I think it would be a good option. I guess that's called cremation, right? Yeah, just (laughs) cremate. Much easier to move. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fits in the back seat. Yep. Oh, my God. (laughs) Or maybe in the glove compartment. I especially don't want to get pulled over and have to go get my (laughs) registration. I'd be like, oh, (laughs) don't mind their ashes. Pull out your Ziploc bag. (laughs) You're like pulling out everything. Here's just, here's my dad in a Ziploc baggie. Well, at least it's gray so they won't think it's a bag of Coke or something. What if they think it's like really old expired? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anything else? I don't think so. We could go on and on with that for hours. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.